0: Pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. My name is Sam Lebowitz, joined as always by lovely Jack
1: Hendon and Jack. Happy Father's Day to you and yours. Happy Father's Day to you and yours, dude. You do anything fun?
0: Uh, not really. I mean, I'm I'm away from the family right now. I'm in Syracuse for my internship, so I gave my yeah. dad a nice ring today. Uh, not cool. a not a ring, like a like a phone call. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I gave him a ring.
1: We should get them. We should we should normalize getting jewelry for our dads. Ice them out. Yeah, screw gender norms. Yeah, exactly. I think rings are cool.
0: Yeah, I don't
1: series, rings are cool. Yes, as the
0: nationals keep you know forcing us to remember over and over and over again on their social media feed. Episode 41 here on the on the pleasant good evening podcast. Welcome to any possible new listeners that we may have gained from appearing on the Real Mets Legends podcast. We want to thank Mikey J and Rob Pearsall for having us on that podcast last week. That was a total blast. If you guys haven't checked that out yet, please go check that out because it was a really fun episode to record. And let's hop into it here on this Father's Day edition, episode 41 of PGE. Kind of a mixed bag of a week for the Mets. They took the first three of four against the Cubs, uh, then completely forgot how to hit against Kyle Hendricks, which bled into the series in Washington in which they dropped three of four to the nationals, including the opener, a brutal one nothing walk off loss in which they got two hits off. Eric Fetty, literally Eric Fetty, uh, split a doubleheader on Saturday, Francisco Lindor hit two home runs in the lone win of the series. And Kyle Schwarber made us his bitch in game two of the doubleheader. And on the Sunday game, hitting a combined five home runs in those two games mixed bag is the perfect way to describe it yeah. because it started so strong yeah and then even even once things kind of went to shit the one win of the weekend was a great win where david peterson looked pretty good again mm-hmm. and francisco lindor hit two nukes in an rbi single had all five rbis in that game
1: yeah well he carried them. i mean that was really that was a real sight i think but yeah mixed bag is probably a good term and it's probably like 500 500- homestands, 500 road trips, a 500 week, Uh, nothing wrong with that, but if you can choose between a 500 week that started well or a 500 week that ended well, the 500 week that ends well always plays, always means more in the long term. Um, Just wasn't really great offense. I think that posting the Donnie Stevenson video kind of set them up for that. Uh, Not really, but I definitely think that like it's the joke is a little bit like not funny anymore now that they aren't scoring their runs. Uh yeah, two hits against Eric Fetty, man. I mean, that's just and then yeah, yeah. And then today wasn't even that good. I mean, I know that Patrick Corbin is probably not gonna end his season with like an ERA over six, but he's also a pitcher that the Mets have destroyed when he was good. Um and they couldn't do that today for whatever reason. Pete Alonzo, well, they, hit, Alonzo they, hit a home run,
0: but they were without JD Davis. Who yeah, was, that's true. Who is the guy who always crushes Patrick Corbin the most? Yeah, seems like every time they play Corbin, JD
1: Davis it's a home run. Yeah, well, uh, Wilson Ramos got released. They didn't sign him for that game, but I, I can understand not signing Wilson Ramos at this point.
0: One day contract. Yeah, let him retire. Patrick fight. Corbin. Uh, big week coming up. As the Mets, this uh, this week and a half period where the Mets had, or week long period where the Mets had three double headers, they've gotten one of those out of the way, mm-hmm. and thankfully, they head back home where it's you know Citi Field has been a paradise for the Mets this year, and they start off a is it an eight game homestand against the Braves and Phillies, including double headers against both teams, including a double header tomorrow.
1: Yeah it's a long homestand and it's a huge homestand like this is all we've all we've talked about the last 2 weeks is like scoreboard watching with the Phillies and Braves like we've been in first place for 6 consecutive weeks um the guys are coming back which is huge and we'll talk about that uh but like if you get out of this homestand with 6 wins like i think i think you're pretty much set to win the division. Um, that's a little bit far-fetched probably for some people because it's going to be before the all-star break, etc. But if you get a stranglehold over this, this, this group of just weird and not very good teams right now, uh, things are going to be a lot easier for you in the long run. And they'll only get easier as more injured players come off the shelf because like, yeah, this is sort of like the, this is kind of a trying time, especially with pitching too. I mean, there's a lot that we'll end up talking about, but this is like, also I'm going to the game Wednesday. Uh, my girlfriend and I are going to be headed there. Uh, this is just like, it's going to be the first time I'm going to a Mets game in nearly two years. Uh, last time I won, it was the Luis Guillorme game uh, where they hit Patrick Corbin pretty well. So was that, was, that game. Yeah, it was, was a game fantastic game. one. Um, I know a lot of people who were there uh really hoping that i just pick that back up it's going to be i think the second full capacity single admission game that they're doing because this coming week they're like opening it back up 100% and new york is generally like lifting vaccine requirements so so there is there is good news
0: uh in terms of the you know whole uh mets front yeah uh the the bright side you know, the, the silver lining of them losing three or four is that the standings don't look all that different.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, besides the Nationals leapfrogging in front of the Braves for the time being,
1: uh,
0: today is essentially going to be a wash today, Sunday. The Mets are going to enter Monday pretty much in the same position. They're going to enter four games up on the Phillies because the Phillies are getting beaten up right now by the Giants, 7-2 to in the sixth at the time of recording this. I have a feeling that will probably stick. I hope I'm right. Uh, the Braves are playing a doubleheader against the mm-hmm. Cardinals. Yeah. They got demolished nine to one in game one. Game two hasn't started yet. They have Drew Smiley on the mound against uh, uh, the left-hander for the Cardinals, Kim. Yeah. Uh, so that is, who know, you know, Quang uh, Young Kim. Yeah. So he's been better than Smiley this year. And hopefully mm-hmm. that trend continues. They get going at seven tonight yeah. uh, in Atlanta. So back-to-back doubleheaders for the Braves. That is rough. And I hope that they come out looking uh, sluggish tomorrow, uh, bad tomorrow.
1: Well, they have um, a long ass flight to to catch. That's like, yeah, we have them where we want them. I mean, this this, and you got to get on it now because the Braves actually like. I'm surprised to be reading about some of these. Like Travis Darno is actually going to come back at some point this year. Uh, they're talking about him coming back in like August. I remember Gary last time the Mets were playing the Braves essentially saying like, yeah, he's done for the year. And you know, me, he's not.
0: Soroka's coming back too in August. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Soroka, they'll probably work very slowly because he's he's uh fine China, but it's yeah, it's definitely this is the time to to get on it. I think it's really convenient too that we got guys coming back. Should we talk about the guys coming back? Let's talk about the guys coming back. This is big. We're fine, we finally made it. Um, so JD Davis is is a ways away. We don't really know what's wrong there. Uh, but the news on the Jeff McNeil front is really good. He was tearing it up in rehab. If you've been checking the day by day stuff, Sam, I don't know if you watched any of it with Syracuse, if you got to catch any of his games, but
0: yeah, I know he's got, he had some extra base hits. He had a game tying home Uh-oh. run the other night in Scranton. and he
1: looks good. He looks a lot more comfortable. I mean, this is a triple a team, but, um, you know, it's, he's going to be activated by the, by the time you're listening to this, he will be activated corresponding roster move is to be determined we're going to monitor that as we record because stuff like this usually drops as soon as we finish the recording um so he'll be back tomorrow and then what Anthony Decomo is saying is that by the end of next weekend Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo will both be back in the lineup as well that's going to be huge Nimmo is starting his rehab assignment on uh he started it today in Syracuse on Sunday again as of recording this and then Conforto He's gonna be back in the next couple of days. He's been doing a little bit of rehab, not as much as McNeil, but also he's much more along the uh, the, the track than Nimmo is right now. Uh, I'm not totally expecting these guys to come back and 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 turn it on immediately, just because like that's a that's a very you know guys take a little time to get ready, but it's going to be a huge relief for us to watch them. And it's going to be very uncomfortable if if we have a series with the Phillies at home and in the middle of that series we're just bringing Michael Conforto back and we're bringing back Brandon Nemo. I like to think of it as that scene in uh in Avengers where they all kind of come out um never watched the full Avengers thing but I'm memed up enough that I know of that scene so feeling good about that I mean yeah that's 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 the good stuff. Joey Lucchese is on the injured list. That's not so good, but
0: yeah, that kind of came out yeah. of nowhere.
1: Yeah. That was a bummer. I mean, hopefully it's just a brief thing, but also like this is a kind of situation where like the Mets are so starved with their pitching depth right now. If it really weren't a big deal, they would have told him to just suck it up because they needed him. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping this doesn't turn into a Yamamoto thing. It's like elbow inflammation. That's what he's on the injury list with. That's like, that's concerning and it's a bummer because Lukecy looked great on Friday. That was Friday was probably all things considered his best start of the year and that is actually saying quite a bit because he's been on this track the last four starts or so of just looking a lot more polished and looking a lot more big league uh ready so to speak.
0: We Jeremy Hefner is a magic man. I think that's yeah. that's my takeaway every freaking day with this pitching staff is that Jeremy Hefner is a magic man that the pitching staff, the coaching staff in charge of the pitchers, whether it's Hefner and Jeremy Accardo and what other pitching dudes that they have in and around the big league, you know,
1: clubhouse every day. Like Meinhold. That's the guy I'm thinking of. Ricky Meinhold. Yeah, he's the isn't he the minor league pitching coordinator? I think he he, I think he's a Cardo's assistant. I need to look at this. I'm pretty sure they have, like, a very, like, robust and complicated coaching staff, but I think Minehold is somebody who's, like, with the big league team.
0: Regardless, uh, Phil Regan, I'm sure, you know, they still consult sometimes. Like, these dudes are smart, and for the first time, I feel like the Mets are a place where pitchers can go to to find their crap again. Like, yeah, even Jared Eikoff, who who's coming up, and he's probably pitching – the second game of the doubleheader tomorrow, whichever game DeGrom doesn't pitches, doesn't pitch. Uh like Jared Ikoff is not good. He's not a fun pitcher to watch. I, I went to two Syracuse Mets games this year, and I got lucky enough to catch him both times. He is so meh. Mm-hmm. He will get some hitters out. He also will probably give up some hits and runs, but maybe Jeremy Hefner could find something in him. Maybe they did some side work today when Ikoff got called up that maybe he found something in Ikoff that's like, hey, if you just adjust this here, instead of going four innings with four runs, you'll go five innings with two runs, yeah. which would be huge.
1: Or maybe um, they just haven't pitched to the ground ball. I mean, that's something that I'm pretty sure he was a bit with the Phillies. And because the Phillies just don't care about defense at all, like that kind of just went by the wayside. So, I mean, the Mets are good at, like, shifting and preparing for stuff like that. So that could theoretically work for a game or two. He pitched perfectly fine in both games I saw him in Syracuse. It's just so Yeah, Yeah, it's it's not the stuff that makes you think, like, call him up, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I hope he never pitches for the Mets because if that's the case, then, good God, that's going to be so boring. And I hope that he shuts me up tomorrow by
1: putting up some zeros. That would be cool. His starts don't look great. I'm looking at his game logs right now. 6 innings on June 5th, 6 earned runs on 9 hits. Uh and then June 12th he went 5 innings and also gave up 6 earned runs this time on 6 hits, 4 walks in the second game, 5 strikeouts. I mean,
0: I caught him on opening night and I caught him saw on a Thursday in May.
1: Uh Uh yeah, it's opening
0: day against Scranton and then against the the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Those were I mean, he's had good games, too. Um, Before these two clunkers, he had back-to-back six-inning shutout appearances. So that's something to, I think, look at. It might just be a consistency thing. As far as how long we get Jared Eikhoff here, who really knows? Uh, Hopefully, like, not that long. But also, yeah.
0: Hopefully, in case, he's only going to miss one turn. Yeah. We don't really know the extent of that injury. But that's, like, best-case scenario.
1: yeah right? I mean, they can't, they can't have anybody else go down. Cause DeGrom literally like he's somebody who we talked about. I talked about with Rob because we actually met and and shot with real Mets legends after the Jacob DeGrom injury. Um, I know it came on the swing. So it's not something that like he will, in you know, inevitably repeat and continue to aggravate while pitching, but it's like a shoulder injury that he's gone through. And now this is like the second start in a row where he's had to come out of the game with some kind of pain. Uh, You know, you can't keep like digging into your guys right now, uh, you know, to do innings work. I mean, Robert Casellman was pretty efficient on Saturday, but like Sean Reed Foley probably had his worst appearance and he didn't necessarily look great against the Cubs either. I caught some of that. Uh, It was like, I think it was an, I think he had a scoreless outing, but the control was a lot more akin to what we've seen in Toronto. Um, hopefully, this was just an aberration. It's just a getaway day, and people just you know didn't really have it. But uh, yeah, right now they're they're actually a, a lot more dangerously close to like having to make trades and and dip into like the Wilmer Font territory than they've ever been before. Uh, so it's you know it's it's like a good thing that the hitters are coming back too because pitching is. Not looking
0: great yeah i mean who cares who's on the mound is if you can score a dozen runs every game <laughs> okay. which is not guaranteed because yeah. they weren't they weren't scoring when these guys were healthy but hopefully they come back stronger um who knows frankly who knows i don't i certainly don't who knows um but it's a crucial week it's a really big week and i uh, do right now is lined up for both doubleheaders this week both the atlanta doubleheader and the philly doubleheader, and We'll, uh, we'll monitor Jake's situation and hopefully that, you know, he's able to keep himself on the mound for an entire start. Um, And, you know, seven scoreless in both games. Why not? You know,
1: I think he can do it. I think starting him in the first game makes a lot more sense because you actually have a routine on him. Like I didn't realize how quickly the first game on Saturday ended. Like we, you know, that game ended within like I think two hours of it starting and yeah, it's seven innings, but. The schedules on those things can really vary. Um, you don't want to have like, you know, you don't want Jacob DeGrom having to throw his bullpens and get ready like at a time that he's not really comfortable in. I just say, and also he's a better pitcher in the daytime. He's sunshine Superman. And it's like, you know, these are not great teams. And the Mets generally like to play their A team the first game of a doubleheader and just take the first win while they can. Uh, so just play Jacob DeGrom. Go out there and... Uh, there's not much else we can really say about it. Cause we're not, we're not there, but like, if I were Luis Rojas, I would probably start to the first game and I would do that both times. I think he's, I think he's the probable
0: for game one at the moment. Yeah. He um, is. I mean,
1: the bullpen went well, he threw the bullpen uh, in Washington and that went fine. I'm like, I, I mean, you know, they said all of this stuff after the flexor issue too. And, um, you know, again, it's not really fair to hold Jacob Degrom over the coals because he hurt himself swinging the bat. Like, he'll probably still go out there and throw a 101. But as far as like how his body reacts, I mean, the Mets are really, really. I understand why they're not putting him on the IL because, like I said, pitching right now is thin. The economy is shot, but they are playing a dangerous game by just continuing to like bandaid things that may just need band aids, but also like may not really as a whole be best resolved with band-aids like maybe just give him 10 days rest I don't know I again I get why they're not doing it but if I had the luxury I would probably have made him rest because this is like this very precious cargo you have
0: I agree I my instinct was even after he said that he was fine my instinct was Let's skip a start, man. Don't, like, your precious cargo. Let's just take a chill pill, take the foot off the gas a little bit, make sure your body's fine, like, good, good to go. Uh, yeah. Even if that means missing a start or two and taking an IL stint, like, you could piece it together. You could figure it out. Mm-hmm. But if he says he's fine and he's – if the MRIs are clean and he's going about his routine and not feeling any discomfort anymore – He's he, knows his, he knows his better, better his body better than than we do. So who knows? I really just – I don't know what to say about it because I feel like we're talking about it like every goddamn week. Like Yeah,
1: and I just want to watch him pitch. That's the problem. Yeah. It's, not even like, it's not even like, oh, like his ERA is going back to normal. Like, you know, I don't actually think that's going to happen. I really don't. I watch him pitch against these teams and dismember them and – I'm probably, and a lot of people can vouch for this. I'm probably the most pessimistic Mets fan most people know. I'm not like Frank Fleming pessimistic. Like, I really try and use like reasoning. Um, But like, I'm usually like, yeah, he's not really that good. We're just experiencing something great for the first time. That's my response to most good things that happen to the Mets, that it's not actually great. It's a little too good to be true. Or, Like it's just relative to the situation and we love it because it's like, you know, we never get to experience joy or whatever. But like I am totally sold on this Jacob deGrom performance. The fact that everyone around him is dropping, uh, whether that's because of injuries, uh, because they can't use their, their foreign substances anymore, because they can't use legitimate substances anymore that Major League Baseball has decided like we ranted about last week. Are, are no longer legitimate, uh, whether they're getting hurt because they have to make that adjustment. Uh, while all that's happening, Jacob deGrom is like only getting better. Um, and every time you think it's gonna be like the start where he like gives up three runs, he just doesn't. Um, it's pretty cool. And we'll always have to deal with, I think people talking innings if he breaks Bob Gibson's record, it will be like not as impressive a feat because he didn't go, he didn't have as many complete games. I mean, the wins argument will just not die. I don't think it's ever going to die, which is a shame. I wish it would, but there's going to be a lot of that. But I also think that like, this is probably the most advanced group of hitters that have ever graced a major league baseball field anywhere in North America. And like, i guess america right because toronto's like playing in buffalo but uh like this is just surreal and i don't want anything bad to happen to it like i don't want to keep being told like i have to wait to watch it or like it's it's limited time it's only for three innings like damn i don't know i just it's it's i don't want to think about what could have been just let it either not happen or happen
0: yeah, like three innings, by the way, in which he was clearly uncomfortable and not his best and still struck out eight of nine batters.
1: Yeah. The Cubs too, like an actual offense.
0: He's not human. Nope. Maybe that's why he keeps getting hurt is you you keep trying to treat him like he's got a human body. We don't know what medicine works on him because he's not human.
1: He really isn't. He's he's like God, I don't even know what to say. We don't even we don't even really have the facts to bring up this week. I mean also just because like the the there isn't so much euphoria as there usually is but like it's it's kind it's, of
0: it's like a unease unease and apprehension like we're excited to watch him pitch but yeah. we're going to be watching him with like binoculars. Yeah. Trying to see any signs of discomfort. Yeah.
1: Yeah, some people have mentioned to me that like Like maybe he just doesn't really have it in him to be a starter anymore, like because of the having to hit thing. I don't think that's really fair. I I don't think that's a right take at all. Like I think this is what he's made to do, and the Mets shouldn't change that at all. No team should ever change that about him. But it did make me think like hypothetically, if you had a closer who had everything that Jacob deGrom has and does everything Jacob deGrom does and is basically Jacob deGrom, that pitcher would never allow a run. They would have – their first innings Jacob deGrom's first innings are always the ones that make me go holy shit the most often
0: yes how i we should i should make the point the mets probably have the closest thing to Jacob deGrom as a closer in baseball
1: you think Edwin Diaz is the, the closest to deGrom
0: Edwin Diaz yeah i do i think pitch repertoire wise deGrom has been mostly fastball slider this year mm-hmm. Edwin Diaz is fastball slider and He has a great fastball and a great slider, like nearly 80 grade on both. Probably an 80 grade slider when it's at its best. And DeGrom definitely has an 80 fastball and an 80 slider. Like, I know he doesn't have the command that DeGrom has. Right. And I know he's prone to giving up like weak hits, kind Mm -hmm. of unlucky hits, whereas DeGrom kind of isn't. Yeah. Uh, And of course, goes without saying, Edwin Diaz in his Mets career has been prone to give up the long ball, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, although he hasn't been this year
1: yeah I think uh, that's actually fair like yeah I think that
0: so, yeah there's certain intangibles that make them different people and make them right. like make Diaz a worse pitcher than DeGrom but it's that's a not, very
1: large margin but he probably is yeah I think that's it, fair
0: yeah it's not like to Diaz's discredit that he's worse than DeGrom it's just DeGrom is like there's seven tiers above the highest tier of pitcher in major league baseball that DeGrom is sitting in
1: yeah. Craig Kimbrell also having watched him in that last game of the series. Cause we unfortunately couldn't avoid him all the way. He looks good. I'm oh yeah. Really as good as he's, for. as good
0: as he's looked in a few years.
1: Yeah. I don't think he's, I don't think he's Diaz just because like, I don't know how long this holds up necessarily. I mean, again, he's Craig Kimbrell. Maybe I'm a bit of a Homer. I think like Kimbrel's having a better season than Diaz is. Uh, don't, Like, don't question that. He's got the one, his FIP is 127. ERA is 0.64. He's dotting pitches up. He's only averaging under, he's averaging under three strike walks per nine innings. Like, and he looked really good. I still think Diaz has more of DeGrom in him, like when he's on, but Kimbrell literally looks like 2012 Craig Kimbrell right now. And that's, I almost like, I almost had to respect it watching it. I couldn't get that upset because they weren't even going to win that game. So... Yeah. Although
0: I will say another thing on Diaz is that one of the biggest weapons for DeGrom outside of the fastball, like the slider that he runs in on the hands to lefties like Mm -hmm. down in him, the, the razor blades that he throws. Yeah. Diaz throws those too. Pretty much. Yeah. And they've been such a weapon for Edwin, man. So like if you go out there against DeGrom and he shuts you down for six or seven innings and you're like, Oh, thank God. We don't have to deal with those like left-handed hitters are like, Oh, thank God we don't have to deal with like, sliders running down and in on us anymore yeah. like at 93 miles an hour and then Edwin Diaz comes in and it's the exact same thing
1: yeah it's like ah schnitt. that would be just like the best setup I think to go from DeGrom six innings to Diaz one inning if you can't do DeGrom seven
0: yeah in the doubleheader
1: for sure yeah without a doubt um so that's the I mean yeah that was just a fun little entertainment thing i think some people are really like in earnest like being hard on Degrom, and it's like it's one of those things that like i think because we're on twitter a lot and it's easier to like curate your following and your timeline to your own taste so you don't get you don't see it like there are some pretty bad meds opinions out there like there are a lot of just like outdated and and like just like ill-conceived ideas about pitching about players just generally about like merit and, and about like what's best for this team. And one of the things that like I've had to hear a lot about is this, and this is going back to the hitters, is this narrative that like Michael Conforto, because he didn't slug in April before he got hurt, actually needs to like earn his his starting spot back from Billy McKinney or Kevin Pillar or Yeah, those two, because Mason Williams is gone and Albert Almora might get optioned. Like, I just think that's just the dumbest thing, like, anyone's ever offered about this team. Like, I don't get how these same groups of people who are so, like, angry when the Mets don't sign big name free agents, they're pissed off when the good players don't play well, they, you know, they rage when Lindor does so much as hit into a double play. They expect the moon and the stars from Degrom, but then when those good things come back to them, they they, they think Kevin Pillar's better. Like, like really, like Kevin Pillar. I mean, he's a fun story. He's a badass. He's a great player to have on your bench. You really want to play him over Michael Conforto or Brandon Nimmo? Like, you really think that? Like, like honestly, even if the whole like earn your stripes thing is a, is is a real argument, like, what was I mean? Is that not what rehab is for? Is that literally not what it is to show that you can come up and actually play on without getting hurt, but also you can face pitching again because you're no longer phased by how much time you had off or however bad you were before? Like, you're you get a clean slate like you get a breath of fresh air and you come in, like you don't think that's earning your stripes. Like, I don't know, maybe it may not even be worth indulging that stuff. I mean, most of those, I think like, you know, points of view don't really make it across like our, like timeline or our cloud of, of, of takes, but it's like, I'm warning people, like that stuff's out there and you need to protect, if, if you have kids who use the internet, you need to protect them. It's so
0: stupid to me too. I agree with you completely. Like Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo are really good baseball players and I like I know that like Nimmo like kind of tapered off right before his injury and Conforto and McNeil didn't really hit in April like who cares? They're good players.
1: They also this happened with a different hitting coach. They yeah,
0: haven't even worked with you
1: they're better players
0: than Jose Peraza yeah. and Billy McKinney and Kevin
1: Like, Yeah. I, I can't believe that like, I have to potentially like that. I have to hold myself back from debating somebody who thinks that Jose Peraza needs to stay there. Like, yeah. Are the Mets playing well in the absence of these guys? Sure. Are, are the depth options filling in? Well, yeah, absolutely. Has it been a great pleasant, you know, pleasant surprise? Yes, it has. It's also like, I mean, really think about it. Like imagine if in 2016, when every one of those Mets was getting hurt, right? Like Walker got hurt, Wright got hurt, uh, DeGrom got hurt, Mats got hurt, uh, Duda got hurt, Darno got hurt. All of those guys went down and they were, they were playing, you know, they had like Logan Verrett pitching every fifth game and they, were putting their faith in Robert Gesellman, like literally talking about pitching Gasellman in the division series if they made it that far. Imagine if when the guys came back, the Mets were like, no, nah, they they can, you know, it's fine. We have, we have like Alejandro DeAzza. Like, it's fine. We don't need to, you know, we have, we have Eric Campbell and Kelly Johnson. They're doing just fine. Like
0: James Loney's totally fine. Exactly.
1: Well, they literally did that to Duda with James Loney and it was the dumbest thing. Like, we're not about to lament that game because I think that like, as fun as it was to see that team make the playoffs, they wouldn't have lasted very long. They would have had to play the Cubs. Like they would have gotten completely annihilated. Like, but yeah, like imagine really like thinking that way. I just, I, I can't, I'm. Yeah,
0: I say this as we're currently entertaining the takes, but like you just can't entertain those takes because they're such bad takes. Like people, people have brainworms. They have such brainworms on that website, on that hell site. There is such a thing as being too online, and I've seen this in like different realms. I've seen this in like political spheres on Twitter. I've seen this in like kind of discourse spheres talking about like lost, like like academics and stuff like there is such a thing as being too online and people on twitter often are too online i say this yeah and like like the takes that like are bred by people having an echo chamber on their twitter timeline constantly when kevin polar has a clutch hit or makes a nice catch or hits a home run people on their entire twitter timeline going oh my god kevin polar is amazing kevin polar is amazing kevin polar is amazing what a great story, what a great find. He's such a great player for this team. They're all they're just getting that regurgitation of the takes that Polar has been so huge for this team. Right. And he has been big for this team. Yeah. But he's not, the, just because he's been decent for the Mets, and he hasn't even been that great offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like still OPSing like 700. Yeah. Uh, doesn't make him a better player than Michael Conforto. Doesn't make yeah. him a better player than Brandon Emmo. Doesn't mean he deserves to start over those guys. He doesn't you need it's, to exit from the echo chamber and take a look at fan graphs right. and like well,
1: fan graphs is a little bit hard to navigate, but even if you went to baseball reference, I love fan graphs. I'm, I'm joking. No, I with agree with you now. completely. It <laughs> is hard to navigate. I, if, if yes. you're someone who's like intimidated by fan graphs, even if you're like pro analytics, etc., like it is hard to navigate. You're not alone. Uh, there are just too many, too many charts, but like, not like savant charts with colors and, and lines and stuff it's like it's just sheets but Look, yeah like instead, yeah. instead
0: of going in, in, in reading barstool mets tweets or whatever i don't even know
1: like, yeah don't listen to kfc if, if if like you're retweeting kfc you're probably just like you probably like gave like your little brother the phone or something i don't know i mean i'm not about to like because Twitter's given us a lot of great things and great opportunities. Uh, but yeah, like, like definitely understand that like the grownups are coming back here. Like the good players are coming back. You don't need to play with kids toys anymore. It's okay. Yeah. That's my, my
0: point. My point is just, you know, separate yourself from the
1: echo chamber, the art from the artist, the pill art from the pill artist. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I, hate like, I hate that. I hate that. Sorry,
0: Uh, I can't believe you just said that. I'm gonna die. Um, just like understand that it can be fun. Like Kevin Pilar can be totally enjoyable and fun to an extent, but just because people are enjoying him doesn't mean he's a superstar. Like he's not. Like Brandon Nimmo gets on base like 15% more than Pilar. Probably plays the same quality defense in center field
1: and slugs more. You're I think the best way to put it and we'll conclude it with this is that Kevin Pillar won't read your Kevin Pillar needs to start over Brandon Nemo tweets, but your friends who watch baseball and know how it works will so so keep those tweets in your head
0: rule number one of Twitter don't post rule number two of Twitter log off those are the two rules
1: yeah. Unless I mean unless you're us, because we get to we can do whatever we want.
0: No, I'm breaking those rules constantly.
1: Okay. Yeah. You
0: will never get me to log off.
1: Yeah, I won't. Um yeah, this 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 kind of dragged. So what's the I mean that's three guys coming back then, right? Who goes? Um Mason Williams is gone. Right. Well he left for uh he left for Icov because Lucese yeah. wants to injured list. No, yeah, I'm saying he's already gone.
0: Right. Um Man, if they send Luis Guillorme down over Jose Peraza, I'm, I'm going to kill somebody, I swear.
1: Not really. Peraza has options. It, it okay, good. Make sense.
0: Then Peraza, I send Peraza down. Mm-hmm. I send Almora down because he has options. And I send... Uh, huh. Probably Drury, right? Oh, Drury's gone. Oh, Dr- Drury's gone. Yeah.
1: I would even send Drury down before Peraza if, like, it came to that. Like, when McNeil comes back,
0: I think that Brandon Drury uh, is so irrelevant to me that I forgot he existed. Yeah. No, he's gone.
1: Yeah. It's it is interesting. Just, it's gonna be I mean, it's kind of sad. It's it. I'd mentioned toys earlier. This really is, like, the, the part in Toy Story where they all get, like, loaded onto the truck and, like, driven off or whatever and it's, like, so long, partner. Like, damn, like, we had just a month of these, these these, dudes. And some of them were really good. I don't know, I like, in that vein, I actually kind of understand why people are like, aversial and whatnot coming back. Cause like, I mean, listen, were those guys very good? No. Did we have fun watching the team win with those guys there? Yes, absolutely. We have to, I talked about this with Sam before the podcast and we're gonna do this. We always say we're gonna do things with guys and then we don't because we're students and we're stressed and Sam has a job, but like we need to lay out all the names of all the guys who've been like added to the 40 this year and just tier them, tier list them, like just rank all of them. Like Cameron Maven, he, 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 he's like whatever tier he's gonna be, put him there. Uh, uh, Wilfredo Tovar, Jake Hager, Janeshwi, everybody who wasn't here and wasn't even thought about when the season started deserves a seat at the table. Even if they're gone now, like Hildenberger I'm putting on there. I'm, 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 I'm I'm like going all out. Uh, I guess, you know, who hasn't? Yeah. Tropiano hopefully gets to play soon. I, I don't know what his deal is. Maybe they call him up at some point. It's gotta be at least like, he might be a 27th man type guy. Probably the next guy up. Yeah. Cause Diaz is Yancy. It did some work, but that's like, yeah, that's, that's almost definitely what they're going to do. But I think that like that would just be, that would be really fun. Cause it's like 20 of them. Like Khalil mm-hmm. Lee, we'd have to think about too. I know he was technically on the 40 beforehand, but like, you know, it was a quick stay kind of just fun stuff.
0: I also want to do that. Content is King. Mm-hmm. And, uh, on that note, shall we shall we remember some guys? Because I think we have a
1: little more substantial remembrances to do today. We do have some substantial remembrances. Uh, so I guess I'll let you go first, and then I'll go with mine because mine actually has like context to it, and will take longer. And that's not considering the fact that I usually talk for longer too. So, okay, I will go first. Yeah,
0: I will go first by saying that last night I had I had an off day from my job. Mm Uh, and so I decided to visit a friend of mine, uh, my friend, Jared, who is not a big baseball fan, but he's a sports fan. And, Mm -hmm. uh, he goes to the university of Rochester and Rochester is about an uh, an hour, 15, 90 minutes away from Syracuse. And so I decided I was going to go visit Jared and Jared and I went to, uh, on my off day from watching baseball as a job, I went and watched baseball, uh, as a fan. So we went to the Rochester red wings for the AAA affiliate of the Washington nationals. And we saw them play against the Buffalo Bisons, the A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. I saw George Springer take two at-bats and make a nice catch in center on rehab with the Blue Jays, to which a Blue Jays reporter slid into my DMs and asked me about why he left the game after two at-bats. I said, buddy, I think he's just on rehab assignment and he's just taken two at-bats and going back to the team hotel. <laughs> um, regardless, this is all to say that the reason I am remembering the guy I am remembering is not because he was in this game, although I could remember Dilson Herrera because Dilson Herrera was in this game. I'm not going to, though. I'm remembering Josh Edgen. He's still around? No, he's not. No. All right. I, should, I, I jumped the gun a little bit. I'm remembering Josh Edgen because this is not my first time seeing a AAA game with a Washington Nationals affiliate. Okay. During my freshman year of college, uh, I went to see a Bisons-Syracuse Chiefs game. This was before the Mets took over in, in, in Syracuse. Because uh, my friends and I wanted to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. in AAA. Vlad went three for five, smoked a few baseballs, made a nice diving stop at third base. Great game. Uh, the bullpens were on the field. This was pre-COVID and before they renovated that stadium. And now the bullpens are not on the field. Uh, my friends and I went around the ballpark to the bullpens and tried to just like chat up the bullpen guys. One of those guys in the Syracuse Chiefs bullpen was Josh Hedgen. So mm-hmm. seeing the Nationals affiliate last night, I was like, huh, remember when I, you know, had a conversation with Josh Edgin? So I'm, I'm remembering Josh Edgin, who again, who of course spent five years with the, you know, parts of five years with the Mets, parts of six years, actually, he missed 2015, completely due to injury. But uh, like, he was really good, like really good in 2014, like oddly, as like yeah. a loogie.
1: Yeah, that was so yeah, Edgen's interesting. He was around a long ass time. Like he, he had like some, it was really season to season with him where sometimes he would just be on and sometimes he wouldn't. I remember Terry Collins going to this dude with the bases loaded and one out against the Nationals and they were up like two runs in the bottom of the ninth. They like pulled Familia. It was either Familia or Reed. It might've been Reed cause this might've been the beginning of the season. Uh, they pulled Reed and brought in to face Bryce Harper. And one of my friends was like, this is amazing. Like, this is so smart. Watch this. And I was like, it's Josh Edgen against Bryce. Like it's Josh Edgen. Like we're really going to just do Josh Edgen. And the dude came in through a first pitch slider that tumbled off the plate and like Harper taps it right back to Edgen for a one, two, three, double play. I remember and then, that. Yeah, You remember that? That was so cool. That was like, that was, I mean, he probably gets asked, he'll probably tell his grandkids about that at some point, like the time he just like came in and beat Bryce Harper. I mean, he probably did that a couple of times, but 2014, he was really good. 132 ERA. Um. Yeah. I need to look up his stats against lefties, but 27.1 innings in 47 games is a very loogie ratio. Uh, That's, Damn, that's a good guy. I'm surprised we haven't remembered him yet to this point.
0: Uh, his, I want to try to get his splits up real quick. I'm looking 20
1: at, 20 at 20. him, too. Yeah, yeah. I keep messing up he, my... Yeah. He held
0: he held left-handed batters. So he uh, faced twice as many left-handed batters as right-handed batters. He was mostly yep. a one- or two-batter guy. That mm-hmm. was before the three-inning rule. He had a, held lefties to a 185 average in 2014 with a 540 OPS against. Actually, had a 536 OPS against right-handed batters. So they were even worse against him slightly but had a higher BABIP. Um, But, like, 53 SOPS plus, uh, like, he was really good,
1: yeah. That is really good. That is really, really good. I like that a lot. 18 strikeouts,
0: 65 at-bats on lefty
1: haters. Nice. All right, so my guy. Um, We haven't done, like, the around-the-league stuff. I mean, last week we talked about the, the, the sticky stuff. A couple of weeks ago we basically – Spent 20 minutes uh, tearing Tony Larusa and a new one, but uh, there hasn't really, I think, been like that much. I think like the Ronald Acuna stuff with his father and Brian Snicker is going to be interesting to see how it plays out because uh, that's an organizational player, you know, who's going to be there a long time. And, um, you know, it's a pretty common gripe, I think, that people have with uh, old school management is that they have like implicit biases, but there's that. Uh, aside from that, pretty much nothing, I don't think, uh, in terms of what's happening, like on the field, but we did get some, some pretty fun stuff today admitted. Unfortunately, the Yankees were on the good side of this, but they ended their game against the Oakland athletics today, uh, with a two to one victory. Uh, they ended it on a triple play. The game ended on a triple play, um, Sean Murphy hit into it. It was a 5-4-3. It was a routine, you know, just a ground ball triple play. It was not an unassisted one. But it is nonetheless the first time a baseball game has ended with a triple play since Jeff Francoer hit into one against the Phillies. And I realized that we never talked about Jeff Francoer. He's one of, like, the, the, you know, I think funnier, more colorful dudes that I think the Mets had on those crappy post uh, Willie Randolph teams. He is so worth talking about all the time.
0: Yeah. I love Jeff Francoeur. I love yeah. Jeff Francoeur. Jeff Francor, They brought him in in two thousand nine. He was like, what was it, 2006 or 2007 or two thousand six, two thousand seven, or or even two 5 Oh
1: five. You're thinking like the year that he was that he tore it up. When he
0: first came up and was Yeah, that
1: was 2005. And they put him on Sports Illustrated. They like basically, yeah, he was like Aaron Judge before Aaron Judge.
0: And then what happened was the league realized that he will swing at literally any pitch. Yeah. And so he just wasn't that good anymore. But he was still like a fan favorite in Atlanta. He was a hometown kid. He was a really good right fielder uh, with a cannon of an arm, like the strongest arm in the league at that point
1: he had a football player arm that's what they called it
0: yeah uh like georgian high school quarterback dude yeah. um and the mets were so banged up in 2009 and that their first real attempt to upgrade the current product on the field was to trade ryan church to the braves for jeff rancor kind of a trade of two guys who had been good previously but had kind of worked themselves out of favor in their respective clubs mm-hmm. and so the mets got frank Gore for like a, a ryan church who wasn't doing anything anymore
1: he yeah they they broke ryan church putting him on the airplanes
0: yes but they had broken him. ryan church with the, the concussion stuff and yeah. like i i as a nine-year-old i enjoyed the hell out of watching jeff frank Gore. i thought he was so good
1: yeah he was like a caveman the way he swung the bat. He would just get back there and he would just swing the thing like as hard as he could. Didn't really care where the ball was going or what he was going to do with it. Or even if it was worth swinging at, but that, I remember that triple play so well, because up to that point, I mean, this was like the end of August. I think the Mets were really in like the throes of their second half, uh, downward spiral so to speak uh and it was especially bad this year because it was like it was like everyone was getting hurt like Reyes hadn't played since April Beltron needed surgery uh I think this is like a week after David Wright got clocked in the head um by the Matt Cain pitch like the product on the field was really really bad I couldn't tell you who was in that lineup um and they sold um, yeah, it was like Sullivan and like Omir Santos and like I'm pretty sure like Fernando Tatis the cleanup like
0: and, and and team leader in home runs Daniel Murphy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Back when they put him at first, but this big brother Phillies team was just like embarrassing us. It was like seven to three. I think it might have been. No, it was nine to five, but I know it was a four run game and they slowly started to scrape things together in the ninth against. I think it was Brad Lidge. I don't think it really matters anyway because they didn't win. But Eric Bruntlett made an error that brought a run in, and they made another error on another ground ball that like loaded no that put two on with no outs. And Jeff Francoeur comes up and puts up like a nine pitch at bat, and then they send the runners on three and two, and he hits a ball that if the infield wasn't covering the steal would a hundred times out of a hundred just be a base hit in center field but because the runners were going eric bruntlett with all his luck was standing right in front of the ball caught it with a foot raised over second base stepped on the bag and then tagged daniel murphy who was trying to steal second and ten-year-old me who had been waiting, 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 waiting for what had been up to that point in my life as a fan, a good Mets team to get good. Was now watching like essentially the death of a season. And if you haven't seen the John boys video on Jeff Frank, first off we've talked John boys before, if you haven't watched a John boys video and you consider yourself a sports fan uh, you haven't had the full experience as a sports fan. Cause he's phenomenal, but he does a chart party video on Frank that touches on the triple play touches on his fall from grace touches on his minor league uh, escapades, pretty much everything about it. I think he's John boys, favorite player too. Like you should definitely check that out for more. Um, but that's, that's the front core stuff. I I watched that happen. I didn't talk. I literally went into my room. I was speechless. It was, the, it was like the most joker fied moment as a Mets fan I'd ever been like just 10 year old me standing in front of the TV, like, speechless just like jeff if you watch the video like he just stared at the ground he was he was like i can't believe this is happening to me i'm a met and i just hit into a triple play i think that's the fourth time today today was the fourth time that a game had ended on a triple play in major league history crazy stuff crazy stuff god bless jeff rancor hope he's doing well yeah he's he's working in the braves booth now which he's good for that because he's good at it yeah, and everyone else in that booth sucks. So yeah. good, good for him.
0: Replace Joe Simpson with Jeff War forever.
1: Yeah, really. Um, immediately.
0: It's a good place to put a pin in. You think?
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right. We so we'll him. put we'll put the pin in it there for sure. Episode forty-one of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast is in the books. Uh, my name's Sam Levits. His name Jack Hendon. Yeah. Well, this is uh this was fun again. Check out our podcast with Real Mets Legends over on their Twitter at Real Mets Legends Pod. I believe is their Twitter with uh, Rob Pearsall and, uh, and Mikey J. And we had a great great time doing that. Go check that out. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, again, Sam Ledwitz, Jack Hendon. We're out of here, Mets fans. Have a pleasant <laughs> evening. (音楽) Thank you.